You're listening to the Moments of Clarity podcast. Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the podcast where we will feature global experts on leadership, change and emotions, sharing their real life experiences and how they've used emotional intelligence to see the world and themselves more clearly. Every Wednesday, I will ask my guest for three moments from their life that led to a lightbulb moment of clarity on how to leave their life for the better. This podcast is produced by Six Seconds Europe and who are dedicated to growing awareness of emotional intelligence. For further information on Six Seconds and EQ, please see our website, sixseconds.org slash EU. I have a very special episode to share with you today and it is with Helen Dunnett who is a business performance coach based in Belgium and she gives us really fascinating three moments of clarity which are also great life lessons. For more information on Helen check out her website helendunnett.com. It was also great to talk to Helen about her EQPC course that she did with Six Seconds recently to ask her why she did the course and what she got from it. So let's talk to Helen now. Hello, Helen. You're very welcome to the podcast. It's great to see you. Where are you? It looks sunny there. It is sunny. Hi, Fergal. It's lovely to be here. Uh, I'm in Belgium today. And where in Belgium are you? I'm about 20 kilometers outside Brussels in the French-speaking part of Belgium. It's called Bierge. And you said home. So are you, you're not originally from Belgium, are you? Or? You can tell by my accent. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm British and I've been in Belgium for 21 years. I, yes, I came over with my husband at the time. And yeah, you know, you, now home for now. I'm also married now, remarried to an Australian. So I don't know whether Belgium will be home forever. Yeah, I, and I'm, my, I became Belgium as well in the process. Did you? Very mm. good. So work-wise, what do you do? I'm a coach and trainer. And I mainly support people who want to improve their professional lives. So that might be managing themselves at work. It could be managing their relationships with people at work. It could be managing a team and how to get great, how to get great performance out of their team together. And sometimes I work with people on personal development. And I wasn't always a coach. For over 25 years, I was a communications and marketing consultant. So I fell into coaching by mistake because I was actually wanting to have better conversations with my clients. I found with the work that I was doing, I was getting stuck in certain emotional conversations because the work that I was doing was helping companies find their brand voice. They had a brand identity, like a logo and colors, but they didn't actually have a unique voice. So the work that I did would be doing a lot of research to really deeply understand who they were, which was unique to them and why people love them, why, why clients bought their products and services. And when I used to give the report in that meeting, so what did I find and what were the opportunities I saw, it often triggered some emotions from the clients that I didn't know how to handle. And one woman burst into tears. Another one questioned his whole raison d'etre. And I felt paralyzed in that moment each time. And I just, you know, anything to get out of that room. And so 
I was talking to people about it and they said, oh, you know, you, you might want to go on a coaching course. So I went on a coaching course. Well, I thought I was on a coaching course, but actually, of course, as you know, when you, when you go on a coaching course, the first thing you have to do is actually get to know and manage self first. So I literally went on a coaching course to have better conversations with my clients. And I fell in love with the process of coaching. And you find that very rewarding. Honestly, Fergal, I feel that I'm having more impact as a coach and trainer than anything that I did as a communicator. And the amount of money we spent, clients' money, putting campaigns together or trying to influence their network, their audience, even though some of it was brilliant, it was fun, it was creative, I worked with great people, I honestly could see how helping one person at a time or a small group of people at a time was so much more rewarding and had so much more influence than we ever had with the the crazy budgets and the crazy stuff that we did in communications. And I have a bit of a gut that um, from the last year through COVID, I think there's going to be with companies and people more of appreciation of that. You know, I think that uh, people now will realize that looking after the people within companies is as crucial as anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because people keep talking about and I'm, I'm going on a talk next week. It's a panel and the panel keeps talking about post COVID and that I kind of like a bunny in headlights when they say that, because it's like some, what is it that I don't know about this COVID thing? What I think COVID's actually done is just put a, it's, it's, it's ripped open more the problems that were already there. There isn't a post COVID. It's just, it's people need more connection, need to be seen, need to be heard, need to be respected more, needed to, uh, yeah, I mean, th- th- those those key things to to feel part of something, to have purpose. And COVID really, uh, I don't know what, what, you know, like literally is kind of salt in the wound of something that was already there that we were sort of managing to deal with because we were in the same office together so you could catch a few things and then suddenly we're working separately. These This disconnection that we had from the company or feeling unseen was just exaggerated. And maybe that when people were disconnected and talking remotely, like say over Zoom like this, they had to make more of an effort to connect. So then it probably made people appreciate the importance of that connection. So I think that's going to be something that people now realize, you know, when as they're going back into offices and connecting that they they have to keep and how important that emotional connection is with fellow staff members, you know? Yeah. And that's what I've heard. The people who have succeeded in keeping the team together tell me stories of the conversations they've had which were not work related so they were consciously talking about how's it going at home and they people were sharing stories about family members who are suffering and they got to know some people got to know their team way more than they would have done normally in an office environment that we don't talk about that kind of stuff so yeah, that's the the teams that seem to have held it together very well is they went a lot more deeper on the personal stuff, which we normally wouldn't have discussed. Yeah. 
is going to be crucial, I think, really is. Yeah. So, so your moment of clarity, your, your three moments, if we could start with your first one. I'm intrigued by your list. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In fact, I had a huge list. It was very difficult to bring it down to three. So <laughs> I have chosen these three. So the first one was I was 16. And I was just happily walking down the road with a new friend because I was at a new school. And I made a, a comment about a woman on the other side of the road. I think she was wearing a funny hat. And it was basically a judgment, a, crit a criticism of this woman. And my friend, Claire, who's still a very good friend of mine, she turned to me and she said, you know, that comment says more about you than it does about the other person. And my goodness, did I want the ground to swallow me up at that point? I, I was completely shocked. No one had ever said anything like that to me before. And I grew up in a family where this is what we did. We were always making judgments about other people. My dad did it. My brothers did it. It was what brought us together. It's, yeah, just what we did. And so, and that was, so it was incredibly hurtful at the time. And I, I remember just feeling so small. And yet that seed that Claire planted has become, I mean, I was 16. I can't, I even had the conversation with her at times going, how did you even come up with that? Because you were only 16, but I think she'd been bullied at school. So she probably, before that point, so I think it's probably something that she had learned. And I, that, that seed that she planted in me has become a tree that grounds me. And I share it with my kids. I share it with clients. I, it's, it's, it's in every part of me that 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 comment and every and each time that there is a problem or you know I can feel myself judging, it makes me very curious about what it is in me that's being triggered, and so it's it's a, a profound gift that she gave me, uh, which was a little bit painful at the time, and I would love to share that on with other people because it's 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 been a life changer for me. And did you know it at the time? Like, did it take you a few years to realize how important that message was? Or was it a light bulb moment even at that moment? Oh, that's a really good, really good point. No, it was not a light bulb moment at the moment, at that point. And as I say, it's literally, it was like this little seed that a few years later and a few years later and then 10 years later and things started to connect together. And it you know, even today and when I'm having conversations with people, when I'm listening to people, I get so much out of the, those comments, the judgments that they make of other people, that what's driving them and what do they, what do they fear? What are they ashamed about? What did they, yeah, how, how are they connecting with the world or, or disconnecting? So, no, it was absolutely not a, at that point a light bulb moment and but it's just so powerful and exactly. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, it's, and it's great to share it with kids and they know <laughs> when my kids start saying something, I mean, they, they say it back to me now. It's like <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> the worm has turned. So yeah, no, it was, it was not a light bulb moment at the time. And I just can't believe how profound it was. And I'm so grateful. And tell it. So your next one then, 
You know, I mentioned at the beginning that I, I went on a coaching course and I thought I was going on a coaching course to learn how to coach. And actually, the first thing is that you have to really get to know yourself. And so I was on this course and one of the trainers was talking about emotions. And I can't remember what he said, but basically what I heard was, I am not my emotions. And in that moment, it was like a screech of car brakes and a, and a crash in my head of a, you what? <laughs> what do you mean I'm not my emotions? Of course I'm my emotions. What? Well, if I'm not my emotions, what am I? And it was this sudden sort of, well, then he went on to describe it actually. And he, he had his two hands up. And so he said, look, one hand is your, is your emotions. And the other hand over here is you. And you can live your life with them completely together, but actually you can separate. They are two separate things. And you can actually observe your emotions and you don't have to be your emotions in the moment. And this concept had at the age of, you know, I'm mid forties at this point, I had no idea. I had never heard of this concept before. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to, to say it now when I look back, but it was an utter revelation to me that I could literally disconnect myself. And, and in that moment when he was explaining it to me, I saw it as that I'm putting my foot on the, the clutch of the car and disengaging my, my engine. So the clutch being my emotions and the engine being me. And that visualization, that, that image now is, is constantly with me whenever I can feel myself being triggered. I literally just put my foot on this clutch in my brain and start to look at my emotions and be really curious about what they're telling me. And I, I did that course and I went back into my communications role on the Monday morning was in a meeting. I got pulled into a meeting because my colleagues were having a problem with the designer again, <laughs> because he was being very strong. He's very much his emotions. And normally I'd get into an argument with this person. It would be a battle of, you know, I'm right. He's right. Who's going to win? And I remember just putting my foot on my emotional clutch and being really present to how I'm feeling and in that moment, we started to actually have a really interesting conversation about what he needed, what he was wanting, and what the options be, what options were then available. Looking at everyone else's emotions, and it was amazing to literally walk out of a, a, a program and that on that Monday morning, it was suddenly this new, massive amount of possibilities and sense of freedom and control of, of the situation. I didn't know anything about Viktor Frankl at the time. <laughs> He'd already discovered this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what did he say? He said, um, the, there's between the stimulus and the response, there's a space and in that space is our power to choose our response. And our response lies, and our response lies in that, in that space lies our growth and our personal freedom. And that's exactly what it is. 
that's exactly what it is. And I, I can't say I always do it. But it's amazing when I, I look at the, the world today and you listen to the songs, you, listen, you watch the movies, you read poetry. It's, it's always um, people are, are, are their emotions. And, and I, before this, I really did, I used to describe myself as a leaf in the wind of my own life. And definitely since that moment, I've become much more grounded and really a sense of possibility and choice, which again is echoed in the, in the EQ and the emotional intelligence. It's exactly the same thing. The six seconds is exactly that. And so I, I love the fact that these things I've picked up along the way. And I think what drew me to emotional intelligence was, you know, that's the, that's the starting point. Exactly. Like they talk about the power of the pause. The power of the and pause. Yeah. Nice. That's my favorite line, you know? Yeah, no. And, and what was so shocking for me at that time in my forties, I was a communications person. We, it's all emotion. Everything we do is about what are people feeling? How can I change that feeling? I have to really step into people's feelings. And so the idea that that we were something separate from that was just revelational. For, just, uh, literally, it was sort of, you know, I, I, it was like, you know, a screeching in my noise, of, uh, in my head of, what? <laughs> Is my whole life been a lie? And <laughs> so it was, it was a bit of, it was a, took me a bit of time in that moment, but it was suddenly so clear that, wow, what, what possibilities I have available to me now. And, and a lot of my clients it's still very much there, still very much. I'm feeling this. He made me feel that I, I, I have to do X. I have to do Y. I have no choice. I have no agency. I have no um, power. And it takes time for people. And there is a great, oh, what's, what is it, Fergal, when you sense of responsibility or ownership when you go, okay, I, if I'm not my emotions, then what do I choose to do next? And, and that it's sometimes just really hard to have to take responsibility. And how do you find that then when you're talking to clients about this, when you're talking to clients from a business point of view, like, do they see that immediately or is it a... No, it's a good question. When I, when I describe it, when I first described it to people after I'd done this course, the first response was, but that's terrible that you're not feeling your feelings. And, Mm. and I said, no, it's not that I'm not feeling them. I'm looking at them. I'm turning towards them and curious about those feelings because behind my feeling of frustration or you're wrong is something to do with my primal drivers, which is safety or status or connection or lack of connection, respect and, you know, ego driven things. And it's just, I'm creating a wee bit of space for me to just better understand what's behind those emotions. So I feel them. Yeah, I feel triggered, but it's, 
I describe it, and I, this is absolutely taken from my coaching training from creative consciousness. Anger, for example, they say, you know, anger is like fire. Fire is neither positive nor negative. It's what you choose to do with it. So I can, if I'm angry, I can choose to punch someone in the face. Or I can take that anger and channel it into doing something useful with it. So, for example, I might be really frustrated that there's not a coffee shop in my local area. So I can complain about that or I could start a coffee shop. <laughs> so, exactly. right. It's, it's, so when I give those kind of examples, I try to make it very practical and yeah, it takes a while for the penny to drop because it's about taking responsibility. It's about saying that, Oh, I'm, I'm, so I'm, I don't have the right to just be angry. I actually have a responsibility to do something constructive. And that's the yeah. bit that, but it's not my fault. It's, it's his fault or her fault. And then it's trying to disconnect the fault and responsibility again. Or even if you're talking about emotions, you know, they say to, to name them, to tame them. So right. It's, it's that's a beautiful being one. Being aware yeah. of them, you know. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good one, which I learned from, from the EQ training yeah. as an expression. So um, your next one then. We're moving on in your life. So we've gone from 16 to 18 and you're saying, what is your last moment of clarity? Oh, right. So, yeah. Um, so this one now, it's, it's, it's coming back to when I was 18. So, and I'm going to take you to the moment before the light bulb moment. I was standing, shaking uncontrollably in front of my 200 art school cohort students. And I was really hoping, I remember standing there thinking, I really hope my trousers, because I'd made them art school, that's what you do, it's kind of baggy trousers, I'd printed them and everything. Really hoping that my trousers were covering, hiding the fact my leg, my right leg was shaking uncontrollably as I stood there. And so leading up to that point, I had come out of an education which I'd failed successfully. I was just dreadful. I was an un, um, what would you say? I had dyslexia, but it wasn't recognized. So I literally just failed my way through school. And what I was good at was drawing and I could, I've mastered the pen and clay and photography and things like that. So quite obviously I went to art school, but at that point I really had no confidence whatsoever in my academic ability or any kind of confidence. And within the first couple of weeks of art school, they they said they wanted to do a fundraiser and would people volunteer to be part of that group? And I would never volunteer for something like that. But the woman, the girl next to me literally picked up my arm and she volunteered both of us. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> anyway, I went along. And so there was, you know, the organizers, People my age, but there's always people who stand out as organizers who want to drive stuff. And they were saying, we're going to organize an auction. So we need to find an auctioneer. We need to make a date and stuff like that. So that day I went home to my, I think I asked my mom, I said, oh, you know, do you happen to know a, an auctioneer? She said, oh, yeah, there's, you know, Mr. Goldsmith in the next village. She'd give him a call. So I did, you know, 
I gave him a call and he said, yeah, sure, I can do that for charity. He said, look, I'm only available on one date. It's this date. And it was in about a month's time. It's on a Tuesday. I'm like, oh, that's great. Thanks. So I went back to the art school the next day and I told the team, listen, I've got an auctioneer and it's on this date. And so they said, all oh, right, we must, we must tell everybody. So let's get everybody together at the break time. So I'm like, yeah, fine. You know, we'll all get together. Uh, I'm not going to speak because, you know, I've given them the information. And they literally, so everyone was standing there and they said, well, who's going to say it? And they turned to me and said, well, Helen, you'd, you'd better say it since you found the person. I'm like, you what? <laughs> what? No, 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 you do it. You got the information. And they know it's just better if you do it. So there I am. I had no choice at this point. I'm literally standing in front of everybody and I, my heart was in my throat. And I think, oh my God. Oh. So I took a deep breath and I started speaking. And in that moment, I kind of had like a, I don't know, like an out of body experience. I was observing myself as I was speaking. And I remember thinking, wow, she's got a loud voice. And, and then I was looking around and I was, I could hear my voice was shaking, but it was loud. And I was thinking, wow, people are listening to me. And they're all quiet. And I was thinking, wow, she sounds quite confident, actually. And then, so I, I told people, listen, I found an auctioneer. This is the date he's available. We need to get marketing material together. We need you to, um, to donate con- uh, art. I don't know what I said, to be honest with you, because it was just a blur. But I remember just watching this, being sort of out of body, watching me speaking to all these people. And then, so then the, as that, so that was an amazing thing in the moment. But then what happened was I became the organizer. Everyone kept coming up to me saying, what do we do here? What do we do that? Do you think I should do this? What do you think of this poster? And I just couldn't get over the fact that, and I kept answering these people. Yeah, do it that way. Yeah, I think that's fine. Yes, we need to do that. And that people kept coming up to me. I mean, me, I was the least confident. I had no O-levels, really no A-levels to, to talk about. And yet people kept coming to me for advice, recommendations, direction. And I was, I was thinking at the time, wow, this is kind of crazy that just because I sound confident, people are doing what I say. And it just kept happening. And no one criticized me. I didn't get any pushback. Occasionally there was things that I, you know, there was a, a thing that we need to sort. So we sorted it. And I really began to see what a massive responsibility it was and how fragile it is to, and how, how blessed it is that, well, such a responsibility that just because you sound confident that people follow and with that, such a great responsibility to remain grounded because it can really feed the ego and someone who had a very low <laughs> confidence at the time, it was a real moment when I thought, wow, okay, I might not be good at school. But this is something I'm good at. This is getting stuff organized, getting stuff moving, bringing people together. And it's, it, you know, it can go to your head if you're not careful. 
And so it, it, from that moment on, made me very wary when other people spoke confidently and told me what to do. Because I know who I was at 18. I had nothing special to offer. And, you know, it's, it's, it is such a great responsibility. And I think that that's, um, yeah, that's stood with me. And it, I think, uh, I'm, and I mentioned to you in an email that, you know, it, it's, I've always been amazed how people follow politicians, why they get disappointed when politi- politicians or governments don't follow through with what they promised. I mean, duh. <laughs> right. I mean, of course, they, you know, they just did it to get to get to the position. And I, and when people do follow through, I'm thinking, oh, wow, they, they actually did mean it. Uh, so I, I'm probably a little bit negative on that front. But, yeah, it was a real – it was a, something that evolved over a month or two, and it gave me such a uh, – the first time in my life, it gave me confidence um, that I had something to offer, that I could contribute uh, more than just be uh, a failure or a burden. So it was it was great for me, but it also really did open my eyes to, wow, uh, this is a, something you can really abuse. As I gave instructions, that people went and did it. Yeah, <laughs> and and so it it really made me very aware at the time. Gosh, I I need to. You know, it was. I found it easy, but it's just. It was. I don't know how to explain it, Fergal. But you know, it's it's well, it's dangerous. You know, it's funny. You've actually, but you've actually kind of already explained it because, you know, you were talking about how, you know, you got into communications, which is it connected to that. And then you moved into coaching and advising people and the satisfaction you get from that as well. So it's like using your communications ability for good, you know, to help people, not just to sell a product. Do you know what I mean? So that 18 year old you already saw that, that you wanted to do communications, you could say, but in, so it's, it's interesting because it actually really ties in. Yeah. What you're doing now. Yeah. No, no, true. It's true. I mean, I think, I think unconsciously I have been always fascinated what makes people tick. Yeah. This was all of these little things that I've done sort of all led up to what makes people tick. And, and I think that's definitely what drew me to communications was what can I write? What can I do? What can we create that would create, that would trigger an emotion that would perhaps open people up to a new possibility of seeing something they currently dislike or disagree with in a new light. You did your, your EQPC course at the start of this year. Is that right? Goodness, it feels like a long time ago. I think I it know. did, actually. I think it was this year. Yeah, I know. This year, this year feels like five. <laughs> I had wanted to do it for a long time and the the locations the cost of having to go on location put me off so I have to say I jumped at the chance of it being online knowing that I would it probably would lose something the intimacy and probably I don't have I mean I don't have relationships with the people that I did the course with which I probably would have done more if I'd done it in person however it was it made the price and the cost and the time much more achievable. So I did it this year. And so the EQ is a lovely course. It's really beautiful. But I did come away with my noble cause, which I so was not expecting. And uh, yeah, so that was a, a beautiful, 
four days, I think it is, four days online. Yeah. Uh, really grateful for that. And th- we do this, you know, the process of well, the drawing as we go along. And originally I was thinking, this is so silly. It's just beautiful. <laughs> and there were so many great artists in our group. It was, it was, uh, it was really lovely. So that was, that was a really great course. And I then went on to do the brain profiles after that. And I am about to go in November. I'm going to do the vital signs because I think you are, you were originally asking me why I went for EQ and I love my coach training with creative consciousness. However, I love working with people in business and there isn't, well, two things. I'll be honest. The word creative consciousness makes people's eyes kind of go into their head when I say it. it looks like a go around. <laughs> we're going to hug trees. And it's a shame because it actually means something very different. But even I, it's like, oh, my God, what a name. And they have a lot of hugging on their website, which if I had seen that originally, I'm a really down-to-earth person. I would not have done the course. So I... So while I stand firmly that I love the train, the coaching training that I have, the creative consciousness, I needed more because creative consciousness focuses on the individual and I needed some more support to help me have conversations with business people. And six seconds EQ is very much more accepted in the business environment. And six seconds has some great tools that I am slowly adopting with my creative consciousness being um, using the EQ tools. So vital signs I'm really curious to do because I, I use another tool right now, which is, which is great for understanding behavior of individuals. It gives a, it really shortcuts my conversations with, with coach, with when I'm coaching um, individuals to pinpoint their strengths and the gaps in their performance. So really it's very specific how they're behaving, how they get stuff done and how they get stuff done through other people. So I, and that's the Harrison assessment, but what I'm missing is this thing that pulls it together, which I believe vital signs will do for me, which is seeing the team holistically. I, I can't talk more about it because I haven't actually done it, yeah. but um, it's just, I, I, there's a lot of tools that, Six Seconds is offering me that I didn't have before. And my goal is to be as efficient and effective as possible. And so it's it's useful to have these, these different concepts. And it also, I noticed, you know, when you, you sit with a bunch of people, if they've got a report, something concrete about themselves and and that you can see about the team, it really helps people focus their attention and see where they want to make, the, where they need, where the problems are and where they want to make the change, as opposed to me just standing there saying, hey, this is a, this is the theory. So it, it's, it's the combination of bringing them in and that self-knowledge, the starting point. So thank you so much today. It's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. There is one last question, which I always ask everybody. And uh, it's no. very simple. And it can be anything. And it's, I always say it's whatever is the first thing that comes into the top of your head. So it is if you close your eyes and take four deep breaths, where is your happy place and why?
it changes. I don't have, I, I have happy place, happy place, happy place would be, it's the happy place is trust. It's love. It's unconditional. It's fun. It's curious. One thing, if it's a place, one thing that really does stand out to me is standing on the shores of Woodbridge, the River Deben. And even just saying it makes me emotional, actually. So it's that, I don't know if you know Suffolk. So Suffolk is where I come from. It's, there's no, there's no motorway in Suffolk. It's, there's the A12. The rest of it's just farmland or water. And the, so Suffolk is quite flat. And then you've got this beautiful, wide, wide, flat estuaries. And the River Deben is, is beautiful. It's got lots of little sailing boats. And so there's a massive sky. Unlike other places, it's difficult to see so much sky, but it's just really, so the, the landscape is very, very low. It's completely out of proportion with the sky and the, the little trees. And then you've just got the sky. And then there's this sound of the guy, is it guy ropes tinging on the masts? And when the wind blows, you've got this tune of tinging ropes, ting, 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 everywhere. And I didn't realize how important that sound was where until I was <laughs> many years later in Belgium, I was playing hockey on a pitch and there was this tinging noise and my eyes started watering. And I was like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I'm playing hockey. And I realized that I started to hear the tinging of, there was a mast, you know, they just had a flagpole and there's the rope was just because it was windy, was tinging against this, uh, this, the mark, the post. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the sound of my childhood. So a home is, is that home? I don't know. That, that it makes, it's a happy place. And if you're like me, you know, like you're, you're describing every, like say for me, my, where I'm from is Clare in the West of Ireland. And that is same for me. And you're, and like the smell of the soul the smell. now when I get, and the sound of the waves, like where I'm from now, now where I live, there's hardly any waves. So every time I go to the sea, it's kind of, I feel flat because <laughs> the West of Ireland, it's noisy, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, so you're right. You're describing, and, and, and during lockdown, it's made me, appreciate that even more you know because well, you couldn't go there <laughs> oh I got to say because you couldn't go there yeah no I'm actually going back to the UK next week for the first time in two years wow so I think uh I will have to do a nostalgic walk down to the river Deben and just stand there and yeah it's the smell it's there's a smell of mud there's a smell of and there's the seagulls and and just I'm sure because the wind is always blowing in Suffolk <laughs> And I'm sure I'll be listening to those beautiful little boats sort of bobbing around, just moored, uh, tinging away. And thanks for sharing that because you've just said, I mean, that's why having that happy place in your head is so important because you can physically feel the emotion oh. from the memory. My eyes, my eyes have been watering. I don't, I don't cry, don't cry. No, it's <laughs> funny. I don't know. It's just bizarre. It's, the other thing, I'm a bit embarrassed to admit, but bagpipes make me cry as well. I don't know why. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, 
I just think it's that, that it's such a noise and people as somebody's managing to play such a strange instrument and they're doing it for you I, I for some reason mag, uh, bagpipes make me cry too but yeah no I'm yeah it's it's yeah I'd say that's my happy place so thank you so much thank and- you Fergal I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to have some great varied guests every Wednesday from all walks of life. So I would ask you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and it will jump into your phone on Wednesdays. And I would also ask you to leave a review and a star rating if at all possible, because it helps other people to find this podcast. I look forward to sharing some great guests with you every week.